This is Dr. Ken. And you're listening to The Help Show, Series 3, The History of Mental Health in America, Episode 4, Who Protects Us? Children's Mental Health of Child Abuse. Welcome back. This month, we discuss the history of child abuse and the psychological impact that has on a child and the community. We explore the different types of child abuse, the root of where child abuse stems, we also examine resources and coping strategies that allow guardians to parent effectively. From 1900 through the 1960s, child protection was an inadequate patchwork of governmental agencies and non-governmental societies to prevent cruelty to children. Many communities lacked organized child protection. Apart from local news headlines, communities were blissfully ignorant of horrendous abuse. The 1960 and 1970s discoveries by doctors attracted media attention and increased media and professional concern and spurred the passage of the law requiring professionals to report child abuse to authorities. The first reporting laws appeared in 1963 and quickly spread across the country. In 1974, Congress assumed the leadership role with the passage of the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, CAPTA. Through CAPTA and other laws, Washington financed and shaped child protection policies from the 1970s to the present. So, so did you get disciplined growing up? And if you did, looking back now, would you call it abuse? Yes, I did get disciplined growing up. I would not call it abuse today because it made me the person that I am. And I was a challenging kid at times, but let's just say if a social worker came to my house, <laughs> I'd have probably been put in a foster home. <laughs> you know, that's what I, you know, on the health show, we do keep it real, um, Dr. Ken. <laughs> that's as real as it can get. <laughs> Me personally? Oh yeah, I was challenging. I'm just, it, but you know what? Those kind of things do make you who you are today. So I, I get that. But looking back at it, I'm just like switches, water hoses, um, shoes, knives. You know, that's abuse. Uh, you know, I wasn't a bad child. But I, I, I understand when you have a two-parent. There's, you know, I'm not trying to defend it, but it's understandable. And I think that parents, they parent as the best, the best that they can. And so, you know, I'm an 80s baby, so my mom was probably like, well, it's how my mom raised me. And I turned out okay. I'm not dead. You know, and so let me raise my children that way. So it's, it's like generational, you know, kind of like generational welfare. It's like generational how you teach a kid. And so, yes, I was very much abused. But, you know, I turned out okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that it's okay. So let me put that out there. It's not okay to be, abuse your child. And yes, I was abused. So let, so let me re-ask the question. So were you abused or were you physically disabled? I was a good kid, so I don't know. It's like can it can it be a tie? Can it be like I was I was disciplined, but to me, abuse is like laying on a bed with your bottom down with the water. It's abuse. That's abuse. That's probably. I'm like getting whipped on your leg, and I'm like I'm gonna call. You know, my parents are like yeah, call. Please call CPS. <laughs> Please, they come get you. You you know, so they can feed you. But overall, I was abused. But I don't, but I don't blame my mom. That's the thing. I don't blame her because she only she only did what she knew, and so I don't fault her for that. You know, she protected me. She made sure I didn't get in any trouble. I was clothed. I had food. So instead of you know, overall, she did a pretty good job. Okay. You make a really good point. Sometimes parents are doing the best they can, and that's all they know. Don't want to be better. But hopefully, after they listen to the show today, they'll learn a little bit more. I mean, I mean, do it. Well, do you think abuse has changed throughout the years? Um, is technology a part of that? Absolutely. Um, back to me in the 80s, we didn't have Instagram. <laughs> you know, we didn't have access to porn. You know, if it was porn, you pop in a DVD so the parents could actually like hide the tapes or something like that, or they could put it in a safe in a vault. Nowadays, it's, it's so easy to access this type of behavior. You know, the internet, um, even if you're not in your, your parents' care, children are still watching these kind of things and you have these vulgar things going on, on, on. This overall, the things that children are seeing 
So absolutely, technology is a big part um, of abuse. Because you can abuse it, you know? Too much porn, what? too much anything can you, I think. What is too much? I mean, it sounds like any porn is not going to help I'm trying to figure out the too much. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you, you you went on that one, okay? okay. You, shouldn't, you shouldn't be watching porn at all. Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm not being a prude or anything. I was just asking. <laughs> so, after having like, this little brief, full conversation we've had, you know I love games. I so, love games I think we all love games. I usually win. Not this time, buddy. Well, you might because this is your profession. So, you know, can you just pretend to lose for me? Can you just like I lose? may really lose. Okay. <laughs> that way you won't feel bad. You consider abuse. Okay. So, let's see. What do you really know about child abuse, Dr. Rogers? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I know quite a bit, but we'll see, won't we? We sure will. Okay. First one. How many forms of child abuse are there? One, three, four, or two? Uh, there's four. Four? Okay, you're right. Oh. Are you going to tell what the four are? In, later in these questions, you'll know. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> I might have been just yes. Yeah, well, you did a good guess. Okay. Um, what percentage of abuse and maltreated infants exhibited symptoms of disorganized attached? Um, so, 75%, 60%, 80%, or 85%? I'm going to go with 75% because it sounds like a nice round number. You guys? Do all If you guys could see me, I'm smelling from ear to ear. Okay, okay, okay. All right, it's my turn now. What are the four forms or categories of child abuse? The four that you said, the number four. Neglect, physical, sexual, psychological. Okay, all right. You're, you're doing something in school. Oh, I bet. Text any of them comers. <laughs> Single-parent families have a higher chance of child abuse in the homes. The four forms. That's true. And we'll talk about that in the interview. Uh huh. I already know. I already know. <laughs> okay. So we're almost done. So who's winning right now? Me? Yeah, me. Yay! <laughs> so um, I can't wait for our um, to hear this interview with um, with Dr. Tia Crosby. So don't forget. I want you guys don't forget to check um, us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Help Show. Um, and also our podcast will be aired um, April the 30th at 6 p.m. Central Time. Okay, for, so our last, we have, two, we have what, two more questions? Okay, so child abuse, by the definition, is the physical, psychological, and sexual mistreatment of children. You're talking about four types earlier, so you only named three there. Oh, goodness. So, so is this a trick question? Yes, it's true or false. I'm going to go with true. <laughs> you know what? I can say it you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Let me give you one then. Okay. Psychological abuse, abuse can involve shaming and ignoring, extreme punishment, and the withholding of affection from the child. That's hard because I feel like it's missing something. What do you think it's missing? I don't know. We're going to talk. We're going to talk to so, um, so, so you don't feel what's missing, it's just true or false. I'm going to say true. Dr. Tia Crossley is a licensed psychologist and licensed specialist in school psychology. She also holds credential as a health service psychologist with the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. Dr. Crosby has 11 years of professional experience providing psychological services to schools, mental health clinics, and universities. 
While in the school setting, Dr. Crosley has served in many administrative roles to foster the development of upcoming professionals. After seven years of service, Dr. Crosley stepped into the world of nonprofits by becoming the executive director of Synergy Center for Wellness, a nonprofit organization that provides mental health services to individuals and families. She also worked as an adjunct professor for Texas A&M University Commerce. You must be happy about that. I am. Like I'm trying to like like Google. <laughs> she earned her doctorate degree from Texas A&M University and bachelor's degree from Loyola University in New Orleans. She specializes in working with individuals with emotional and behavioral challenges. She also works with individuals with learning disabilities. Her mission is to empower others to be advocates for themselves. Erica Tucker is a licensed clinical social worker with bachelor's and master's degrees in social work from the University of Texas at Arlington. She has over 10 years of varied experience working with children, adolescents, couples, and families. Erica is worked in a variety of settings, providing both long-term and brief interventions for mental health and psychosocial issues. Areas of expertise include anxiety, depression, relationship challenges, family conflict, and phase of life changes. Erica is the owner and founder of TaylorMade Child and Family Solutions, which specializes in individual, couple, and family counseling for ages 10 years and up. She offers an innovative approach to counseling and a variety of modalities provide clients with convenient treatment options that are affordable for every budget. Erica has also worked for a large urban school district for at least five years providing psychological and social services to students and their families. She has trained several teachers and staff members on the effectiveness of de-escalation and addresses the trauma and behavioral issues that plague several campuses. She also provides supervision to master's level social workers seeking to obtain independent practice recognition through the Texas Board of Social Workers. Erica believes that change happens when people are given the insight that they need to draw on their own strengths to realize their potential to live fulfilling and happy lives. She stands on the fact that we all need faith to overcome any obstacle, hope beyond the present to give us confidence for the future, and healing from the pains of our past that seek to destroy our peace. Hi. This is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. Today, we interview licensed social worker, Erica Tucker, for episode four, Who Protects Us Children, Mental Health, and Child Abuse. First of all, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time on a Saturday, rainy, dreary <laughs> day um, in Dallas, Texas. Um, we at the Health Show, we call it the TTT. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, we're beyond appreciative that you have taken your time. Oh, no problem. Because it, it's Saturday. <laughs> yes, but I'm happy to be here. I was happy to get the call for sure. So um, this month, we really focus on child abuse and the history of child abuse. And at the Health Show for this um, series is history of mental health in America. Mm -hmm. And so... What the goal is, is for this year, every topic we talk about, the history of it. Mm -hmm. And so we want people to know that it has changed. Mm -hmm. um, rules, regulations, policies, the way that um, things are operated now, things have changed. So, um, you know, in the 1800s, <clears throat> you know, children, like, animals had more rights than children. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not like that anymore. Definitely not like that. I'm very glad <laughs> And so I need people to truly understand um, issues about child abuse mm -hmm. and how child abuse has really changed. And, and, and nothing's going to ever be perfect. Right. And so it, it, is, um, it is a process. Sure. And, the, and what, what identify as child abuse, because there's all types of child abuse. Child abuse is not only just um, like um, the physical altercation of child abuse. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to start this interview, um, and I'm really excited about <laughs> the answer that you're going to give us for the health show. Sure. And so um, tell us about your background and how you got into the field of social work. All right. So um, I'm a native of Dallas, Texas. I actually grew up in the DeSoto area and originally went to school to be a nurse. I've always had a knack for helping people, but my mom was a nurse, and so um, I generally just thought, oh, well, I'll be a nurse like my mom. Um, so went to school for nursing, got into year two and just say, you know what? Nursing is not for me. I don't like blood. I don't want to give anybody a shot. 
Um, none of that. So um, I actually went to my advisor and was like, what can I do to not lose my credits um, and find some degree that works for me? And she said, let's try social work. So took intro to social work class and the professor was phenomenal. Like um, she just exposed me to everything a social worker can do because my knowledge prior to that was CPS. Yep, all you can do is take people kids, you know, that's all they thought social workers do, you know? Um, so she exposed me to a, just a, a world of all the different possibilities that social workers can do. And from that point on, I knew I was in the right place. And I was like, this is where I should have been the whole time. And so um, finished my bachelor's degree at UT Arlington in social work, went straight into a master's program and have, you know, gotten a clinical license at this point. And I absolutely love it. I love what I do every day. Um, I wake up every day and I'm happy to go to work because I like what I do. So that's I how I got into it. I love that. So what is she? Because I love the fact that you, because that's what I, you know, that you hear and you tell people, oh, I'm a social worker. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks CPS, take it for new kids. Sure. So what does she tell you that social workers, the the opportunities that we, that we can do, the careers that we can have as social workers? Well, first off, she just explained that social workers are in, they're everywhere. They're not just at CPS. We might not even realize you're talking to a social worker. So like when you go to the hospital, there's a social worker there that's responsible for your discharge planning. When you go um, to even some community centers, um, there's social workers there that are helping with event coordination and uh, collaborating with the community, getting resources for people. Um, there's social workers in schools now. They are um, hospice services. Just anything that you can probably think of, any population you wanna work with, there's a social worker somewhere around doing something in some capacity. And so she just really touched on the entire semester all the different things that social workers can do. So I tell people now, if you're interested in social work, you know, first off, kind of figure out what population you want to serve. And I promise you there's a way to be a social worker in that setting. I like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Eric. So let's get to these signs of abuse. So what are signs of abuse? So there's a variety of signs. I think when people think about child abuse, the first thing they think about is the physical abuse, right? So of right. course, those signs would be things like bruises or scars on a, on a child. It can even be things like, um, you know, they're extremely thin or they seem malnourished, um, you know, dark circles under their eyes, uh, different things like that. But then even obesity can be, you know, um, alluding to some type of child abuse because sometimes um, kids eat as their way of emotionally coping. So if, even if there's emotional abuse, they may begin eating more. Um, and so they can gain a lot of weight. So just like a significant weight gain is something to pay attention, you know, to also. Um, major changes in moods, you know, if you know that this child is normally happy, playful, doing all of these different things, and then all of a sudden they come to school and they're not the same, right? Like they're quiet, they're reserved. Um, those are signs to look for. Um, even just things like uh, they may not want to go home or they may not want to be around certain people. Um, where you would think naturally they would want to like they you know children want to be around their parents or different things like that if they begin to express like i don't want to go over uncle so-and-so's house you know um and it's not natural or not their normal pattern these are things to pay attention to um there are also different things like wetting the bed or in incontinence that is not age appropriate um that can you know be a telltale sign of sexual abuse or uh, things like that um i've even you know worked with kids that have exhibited sexual behavior or just their conversation and their knowledge base lets you know they're exposed to something um, that's not you know, really normal for their um, age group. So with that being said, all of those things can just be a telltale sign. And of course, just them, them speaking out that something is, is going on. So when you say um, being around it, do you think would it be hard to kind of identify because you know children are, are, are they the social media and being involved in social media mm -hmm. and having access to social media let's say hypothetically that their parents are not um having this type of behavior at home or or, or showing the type of behavior at home but the child is being um i don't want to say deceitful but kind of sneaky mm -hmm. getting into looking at pornographic um images mm -hmm. on the internet sure is there a difference can you tell a difference when a child has been just watching it on social media when a child has actually been involved? In sure, you usually can tell the difference by just asking them certain questions. You know, um, where'd you find out about that at? You know, and, oh, my friend told me, you know, or oh, it was on, you know, Facebook yesterday or something like that. Um, that's generally how you can tell typically with your older children. With your younger children, you know, if you're talking about maybe fourth grade and below, a lot of them are not gonna be, you know, 
on social media or different things like that. So then it becomes an issue of supervision. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and that in, in itself can be a form of neglect. You know, you're not supervising them from making sure that they are shielded. And sometimes that's not, you know, something to take your child for, but something to definitely make the parent aware of, give them resources that they can protect their children um, and their behavior, you know. So what types of challenges do the children and families you work with face and how do you counsel and support them? So um, I work with a large urban school district and um, I'm on um, a particular side of town where these kids come from backgrounds that are, um, they're very uh, low income. Um, Most of the people in the neighborhoods make $25,000 or less. Um, All of my kids are on free or reduced lunch of some sort. Um, They generally don't have a set of uniforms, um, meaning they don't have like five pairs to wear for the week. And so um, their parents can't afford to wash their clothes weekly. So sometimes they may come to school dirty or different things like that or not have adequate shoes, socks, different things like that. So that's the kind of students that I work with um, full time. And so with that being said, they bring a lot of different things that you have to kind of decipher. Is this mom neglecting them or is this mom... Uh, or dad, you know, just not able to have the resources that they may need to wash their clothes, you know. So with those things, we have to dig a little bit deeper um, to see if it's actually abuse or neglect or if it's um, an, a deficiency at the house that maybe we can help connect that family with some resources um, to help with some of those things. Okay. And is there some way you can um, give us an example? You don't have to give the person's name, of course, that'd be... Yeah. So, so like example, um, we had a student that was referred to me uh, for counseling services, it was said that this student, um, you know, had anger issues. Um, they were acting out in class. Um, they frequently hit other students, different things like that. So when they came to me, they were visibly dirty, and this was pretty early in the morning. Um, and what what it ended up boiling down to is that they were kind of being teased because they did kind of have a little odor. Their clothes weren't necessarily the cleanest, and so they had just developed this coping mechanism of just going to fight everybody that says something about me. Um, come to find out, you know, um, they were basically taking care of themselves. We're talking about a nine-year-old child whose parent is gone when they get home from school. Uh, they essentially get up, take care of them and their younger sibling, make sure they get up and walk to school every morning, and then they walk home. No one really comes home until about 8 o'clock at night. So, you know, there was all types of, like, food insecurity um, where they didn't have enough food in the afternoons. Um, so we kind of connected with North Texas Food Bank and some other things like that to kind of make sure – but that's, that's, that's neglect. For a child that age, um, they, they can't be by themselves that that long and just not making sure they have clean clothes and different things like that. And in this case, it wasn't that they couldn't afford it. It's just that um, they didn't have the supervision to make sure those things were done. Right. So neglect is a type of abuse as well. Yeah, I know is. we spoke about one physical. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back. Neglect. Sure. Um, what are some other types of child abuse? So, of course, you have sexual abuse. Um, There's also emotional abuse. Um, I have worked with clients who their parents um, talk very demeaning to them, uh, belittle them all the time to the point where they can become depressed, suicidal. Um, Just, you know, if they don't agree with their lifestyle choices, um, they don't agree with their appearance, the emotional abuse is huge. Um, And that's the one that's probably the most overlooked because um, there are no physical signs, but there are definitely emotional and internal scars right. that follow people you know, throughout the rest of their lives. Um, it's so important for us to teach our kids who they are, and if you're, all you're hearing is those negative things, then um, it definitely can be internalized, and, and it's a form of abuse. Right, and that's what they probably think they, they, that they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they always say it, I think this is such a myth, and it's, it's, it's totally not true. Um, as a kid, you probably heard it too. Sticks and stones may mm-hmm. break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Yeah, I biggest that's, lie. That's the biggest lie. Yeah, words w- hurt worse. Way worse. Yeah, because those scars will heal eventually. You know, put a Band-Aid on them, they're going to get a scab, and they're going to heal. But those words sometimes resonate with you for years and years and years. I can't tell you how many adult clients I have seen um, when we trace back kind of how they got in the position they're in at 30, 40 years old, they were bullied. You know, and somebody said something to them when they were fourth grade, fifth grade, and they're still dealing with the effects of it, you know, even until their 40s and 50s, you know. So um, those words do hurt. They do. (laughs) They do. Um, So we talked about emotional abuse, physical abuse. Sexual abuse. Sexual abuse. Neglect. Neglect. Is that it all? Is that all? Yeah, that hits all of them. It's all okay. Okay, so 
this is a very good question. I'm feeling, how long does it take a child protective service to investigate and why? Okay. So, of course, I'm in the Dallas area. So, of course, whatever area, you know, a person is in, this may vary, but I can speak to what happens here in Dallas. Okay. So, essentially, when someone makes a report. In what part of Dallas? Uh, I'm actually in the southern part of Dallas. Okay, so yeah. you're not Highland Park, Dallas. No, okay, we okay, are I'm southern just, okay. part of Dallas, <laughs> Oak Cliff, Highland Hills. Um, that's where I am. So okay. um, in the southern part of Dallas, if a person makes a report, um, CPS will generally um, categorize it by um, the level of need. So when you make a report, of course, if you say something like there is a, a five-year-old child walking down the street, no clothes or something like that, that may warrant someone coming within a few hours, okay. right? Um, or they're, you know, physically beaten, hurt, something like that. If it's a high risk case, right, high level case, okay. Some you can get somebody within a few hours. But what I've noticed is that when I have teenagers, say for instance, they're 15, 16, they're neglected, but they're old enough to somewhat fend for themselves. Hmm. It might take them over a week oh, to get wow. someone. Um, just depending on what's what's going on. So the age of the child matters, um, the severity of the incident, and then also just little things like um, the person who's making the report, the more information they give, the better. So like if I see something and I don't, I don't know the child's full name or I don't know what school they go to or I don't know where they live, um, that can kind of prolong the process because of course they have to find the kid first, okay. right? And then find who, who may be doing the abuse. So um, the more information, the better, but I always tell people, you know, you have to report what you see, you know, and just say what you know. And that's essentially it. Because if we all, you know, have a responsibility to protect our kids, you know. Um, and so if you see something, don't, you know, hesitate to call and say something and then let CPS handle their job. But it definitely just depends on the severity, anywhere from a couple hours to a week or more. A week to a week and a half, maybe, would probably be the, the longest Um for them to come out and actually investigate and then determine what they're gonna do with it. Okay, and so when they do an investigation, what makes them say, okay, this is not a serious case, honey? Like Generally, they have to prove that this child is being abused and neglected. So, mm -hmm. for instance, if, if you are concerned about a bruise on a child's head, but they can investigate and kind of see, okay, this child is maybe failed or something like that, they may not you know, decide to keep that case open. So there's just a variety of factors as far as protective factors, you know, how much at risk they think that, you know, child is in the home. Um, all of these things contribute to their investigation. And then after they do their investigation, they make a couple of decisions. They either decide it's bad enough that I need to take this kid out of the home, in which case they always try to place you with a family member um, or someone that the child knows. If that's not possible, then they do have to, you know, resort to foster care or something like that. There are other things that they'll keep a case open and the child remains in the home, but they put some interventions in place to better that situation. So it could be, I'm going to leave you with your mom, but mom's boyfriend has to leave. Yeah. Mom's boyfriend can't be around you. Um, or I'm going to leave you with mom and dad, but they need to be completing this parenting class so that they can learn you know, alternative methods of discipline so that it doesn't get to this point. So it's not always they're going to take the kid. They try to, um, the, the goal is to keep the family together as much as possible. Um, and so they can do that they'll they'll opt to do that versus taking them. When they take your child, it's generally extreme cases. And that's what I want people to know. You know, they make CPS like they're the bad guys. Right. They're not the bad guys. No one wants to take you from your family. Right. Like that is an absolutely like I'm, no. <laughs> right. And so I think I want people to understand CPS is not they're not the enemy. They're really truly your friend. They're mm -hmm. trying to put you in better places to help you be a, become a better parent or right. be a better parent. Right. And you know um, they also have, what, literature for you to read or classes for you to participate Absolutely. in to help you. Yeah, so if, if, like I said, if they see there's a need, even if they do remove your child, they have a goal with reuniting you with your child within a 12-month time span. So even if they do take the child, in that 12 months, they're giving the parent all the resources that they need to help them, you know, come come up with their level of care and then, you know, improve their living situation and their selves so that when the kid does return, it's a better situation for the child. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're full of resources and they, of course, there's a foster care shortage. So they, they try not to, you know, take kids and put them in foster care assistance. Plus it's just not healthy for the kid. It's not. Um, but they, they'll do everything they can to keep the family together and uh, support that parent in whatever way they need from parenting classes, addiction classes. I mean, what, 
whatever it takes um, to better that environment. Speak eyes, see through, and see your friends. So what types of resources are offered to persons going through child abuse or someone that knows someone going through child abuse? So there are a variety of counseling services. Anybody that's been through any form of abuse, I'm going to recommend counseling because we don't always realize on the surface how much that abuse has hurt you, how much it impacts your daily life, how much it impacts your outlook now and your trust for other people and your interactions with other people, all of those things. So getting in some type of therapy counseling is going to be best. Um, if there are a, there are a variety of support groups for different types of abuse, um, and so if you want to get around, you know, individuals who have been through similar experiences, because sometimes your family doesn't quite understand. They want to help, but they don't quite understand you like someone who maybe has been through similar experiences. Um, so support groups are great. Um, parenting classes are are also great um, because they don't. People think, you know, I'm a parent. I know what I'm doing, you know, but. We're, you know, all parents, are, they're learning as they go, you know. Um, and so those offer different resources. Like I said, alternative methods to discipline. Um, unfortunately, we can't always just raise our kids like we were raised. You know, every yeah. kid is different. And so we may need some resources and tools to help us, you know, figure out how to help my child, you know, and yeah. this their particular personality or whatever the case may be. Um, so those resources, I think, are, are just, you know, standard, you know. Um, of course, depending on what the need are, if there are drug, drug treatment programs or um, like AA meetings or different things like that that may come into play, um, just depending on what the situation is. Um, but for the victim themselves, counseling is a must. And there are a variety of therapists all over, you know, the city um, that you can find. Psychology Today is a good resource to, to locate a therapist in your area. Um, so that's the main thing. And for those who are, you know, family members or, you know, people that care about the victim, the main thing is just to educate yourself on some of the effects of abuse. And, you know, Google is a great tool. Yeah. So, like, you know, if, if you have a, a child that has been sexually abused, some of the signs to pay attention to, you know, um, and the therapist is going to help a lot with that to, to notify you of that. But, yeah, just Googling some of that stuff to make sure, you know, they they have with the support that they need. So before we leave, um, I want everyone to know that this is an amazing interview, number one. <laughs> number two, um, if our listeners are having issues with child abuse mm-hmm. or know someone that's going through child abuse, how can people find you in your work? All right. So, yeah, people can find me um, at www.taylormade, that's T-A-Y-L-O-R-M-A-D-E, C as in cat, F as in Frank, S as in Sam, dot org. So that's tailormadecfs.org. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, you need resources, or you even want to do counseling services for um, individuals, couples, um, children, and adults, um, you can always send an email to info at tailormadecfs.org, um, and I'll be happy to get back with you. Taylor, this is really great. <laughs> and I'll probably um, ask you to interview for another show. No problem. <laughs> so look forward to this call again. Yes. Um, thank you guys for listening to The Help Show. And please stay tuned. Taftia Crossley is a licensed psychologist and licensed specialist in school psychology. She also holds credential as a health service psychologist with the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. Dr. Crossley has 11 years of professional experience providing psychological services to schools, mental health clinics, and universities. While in the school setting, Dr. Crossley has served in many administrative roles to foster the development of upcoming professionals. After seven years of service, Dr. Crossley stepped into the world of nonprofits by becoming the executive director of Synergy Center for Wellness, a nonprofit organization that provides mental health services to individuals and families. She also worked as an adjunct professor for Texas A&M University Commerce. You must be happy about that. I am. I'm like, I'm trying to like, like Google it. <laughs> she earned her doctorate degree from Texas A&M University and bachelor's degree from Loyola University in New Orleans. She specializes in working with individuals with emotional and behavioral challenges. She also works with individuals with learning disabilities. Her mission is to empower others to be advocates for themselves. Introducing... Dr. Tia Crossley. <laughs> thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. We call 
So we have we call it the TTT. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're beyond grateful that you have taken the time um, to come and visit with us and talk to us about you know being an advocate and spread awareness about child abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is very important this month. I don't know if people know it. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, this is the month. Um, and child abuse is every three hundred five days a year. So it's, this year just this month just puts a spotlight on the issue. And so, um, thank you. I'm grateful. We are grateful. And we are ready to get this um, interview started. Okay. So, um, Dr. Car- so you want to call Dr. Tia, Dr. Crosley? Dr. Tia is fine. Okay. That's what most people call me. Okay, great. <laughs> you know me, I get off. It's just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, Dr. Tia. Tell us about your background and how you got into this field. So, um, really, we want to know, like, what inspired Dr. Tia in this to become, you know, involved in this field? Okay. Um, so, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. And I grew up, I'm the youngest of five, and I grew up in a two-parent household. Um, so, but that does not mean that my two-parent household was perfect. Um, so I had a lot of challenges, um, growing up within my family and I wanted to learn ways of how I could become an advocate for myself. And I started to do that at a very, very young age. It was a very young age. My family was plagued with, um, substance abuse, with, um, other types of abuse, physical abuse, um, emotional abuse. And I wanted to learn ways that I can advocate for myself. And one of the ways that I started to do that was learning about how I can cope a little bit better with the things that were going on. And so I had a counselor um, when I was in um, high school that really took me underneath her wing. And I just started to like the things that she that she did. She would talk to me. She would helped me to stay focused and um, with my academics. And so I decided to um, learn a little bit more about psychology. And so that's what I majored in in um, college when I went to Loyola University. And I basically never looked back. I've just been moving forward with trying to help myself and others um, dealing with the challenges um, with them growing up. Okay. Okay. So that's what inspired me to kind of get into psychology. So we were talking earlier about the different types of abuse. So mm-hmm. can you tell us about the different types of abuse and how they affect kids and maybe even adults? Like, do adults still suffer from things that they suffered when they were young? Well, yeah. So the thing is, is we talked we talked a little briefly that they had the four types of abuse. So we have um, physical abuse. We have psychological, which is also um, um, includes emotional abuse as well. Um, we have neglect. And um, the fourth one, I'm missing it, Um, physical neglect, um, sexual abuse is the uh, next one. And so the kids who are growing up abused turn into the adults that have been abused. So it impacts the kids as they're young. But if you have all these unresolved um, issues, guess what? You still become an adult with those same issues that you had as a kid. So some of the long-term effects that research shows um, with children that have abuse, um, anxiety disorders, t- kids tend to get real anxious. Um, kids tend to um, be depressed um, that have gone through abuse. And those and that depression can turn into um, suicidal thoughts. You have a lot of kids who have been abused that have suicidal thoughts. You have... Um, Kids who have been abused that just feel lonely, that feel like they can't really get out of the situation that they're in. And so if you're a child feeling that way and those are unresolved issues, then you become, like I said before, an adult with those same issues if you don't get help for it. So it does impact kids and adults. And I can totally see that because it's like while we were talking earlier about how I was abused as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that same abuse that my mom abused me, her parents abused her. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, in her eyes, it wasn't abuse, it was love. And so I think that when we don't have literature to read about abuse or how to really identify, because if you you don't identify or put a word to it, then it's not abuse in 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 your eyes. Yeah, 
and just like you said um, earlier, you said your parents do did what they know to do. So all of our parents, all of our parents did what they know what was what they felt was best for us at that time. And I feel the same way about my parents. They right. did what they knew what was best. And so they just didn't understand the long-lasting effects that it could have on your family. Right. And so um, some kids are resilient. Some kids can just bounce back, and they can just they can bounce back. They can move forward with academics. They can come. They can soar. But then you have some kids who they have those risk factors, and they're not able to bounce back. So what right. do we do for those kids? Right. How do we help those children? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because what only thing that what what happens is they have children, and their children have children, and their children have children, and they all learn abuse yeah because we're repeating a cycle so right. if we if if we are if we don't learn from the mistakes that we make with well, then we're bound to repeat the the history we're bound to repeat it so that's the biggest thing we have to teach um the people that are coming up we have to teach the, the generation coming up and the generation that we have now because it's never too late to learn right. of what's appropriate in terms of disciplining children what's appropriate in terms of giving kids the protective factors that they need um, um, for um, just basically navigating the world of um, just, just life. Right. What protective factors do they need? Yeah. yeah. And so with your nonprofit, of course you deal with different um, diverse and cultural groups. Mm -hmm. And so are there differences in, in how risk and protective factors play out across the diverse cultural groups? So I honestly, um, I know a lot of people would like to say, well, um, this group is, is plagued by this more than others, but I see it across the board. So I have clients um, who are from diverse cultural groups um, at our nonprofits. So we have clients, um, African-American clients, we have Hispanic clients, we have Caucasian clients, and the risk factors affect them in the same way. So you still see kids who are coming up and who are depressed. It doesn't matter of their, of their ethnic um, upbringing. But one of the things that we do see is, is that a lot of my clients of color who are living in, like, say, for example, lower socioeconomic um, statuses, one of the things that we do see that impacts them more is the lack of resources. Right. So they, it's the access to those resources. And that's the biggest thing that I feel... Um, impacts um, people of color. Right. So how can we provide them with those resources? That's why I went into the world of nonprofit because the idea is is not to turn people away, to give them the services and the access to those resources for their mental health, for their educational health, so they can learn to be advocates for themselves and then pass that on to the generation that's coming up behind them. I think that's so important. Um, you teaching your clients to empower themselves, mm -hmm. that's the that's the most valuable thing out of this whole thing that they would ever learn about, you know, depression, anxiety, um, abuse, mm -hmm. sexual, to learn how to help yourself. Yes, because you don't have to stay there. Yeah. The, the thing is, depression is real. Abuse is real. Yeah. Anxiety is real. Yeah. But we don't have to stay there. So what are those protective factors? Because I know we've been talking a lot of those risk factors, but what are those protective factors that can help you not to stay there? Right. How can you how can you begin to advocate for yourself right. so you don't stay in that spot and become the adult like Dr. Kim was saying? Are there adults out there with those same um, risk factors that have um, impacted their lives? How can you not become that adult? Or if you are that adult, how do I deal with it? Right. right. So, so, so I think you're talking about protective factors mm -hmm. quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say protective factors? Yeah, so protective factors, they just buffer risk factors. Hmm. So, for example, one of the things that um, I, I heard you guys talk about, a good example would be um, um, single-parent versus two-parent homes. Well, one of the things about the single-parent home, the, there's a lack of supervision because you have one parent in the household. That's what we hear um, from research. You have one parent in the household, so there may be a lack of supervision. Well, a protective factor can be going to church. Going to church, being in, in, a, in a group and being um, in a youth ministry at a group and having um, a sense of family outside where um, the single mom or dad can have that, um, I'm blanking on the word, they can have that support um, in the community. Another thing could be um, rec centers. That's a protective factor. Right. So, okay, yes, you have this single mom or dad 
that's out working for, for their family, but my kid is not lacking on supervision because my kid is in um, Boy Scouts. My kid is um, going to the YMCA to take classes or my kid is in extracurricular activities um, in band. So those are all examples of protective factors that can help you not to feel that sense of loneliness, to not develop the anxiety, to feel a sense of community. Yeah. So when we look at relationships, especially parental relationships, characteristics of, you know, alternative families, complex families, how do those influence risk and protective factors in abusive parenting? Well, um, just like we were talking about with the, the family structure, um, you can have a two-family household, you can have a single-parent um, household, you can have a household where you've lost both your parents, and um, you have an extended family member caring for you. Um, um, research shows that a lot of times those kids who have lost both their family members um, tend to um, experience abuse um, from those um, caretakers. Um, a lot of times you have a lot of mitigating factors that come in place. Um, for example, single single parent, you have to kind of figure out, okay, where are the next meal is going to come from? You have to figure out how I'm going to pay these bills. Yeah. So there's a lot of other stressful factors um, that are coming into place that um, can cause more risk factors of you, one, taking out things on your child because you don't know how to cope yourself with the everyday stressors of life. And so, and it's not to say, like I said, it's not to say that a two-parent household would, would, would necessarily be any better, but research shows that when you have another parent to kind of buffer those um, stress levels off of, it has been better. But like I said earlier, I came from a two-parent household, and that was definitely not the case. <laughs> that was definitely not the case. <laughs> so my my next question, we already pretty much answered it, to how to protect from risk factors. You know, like mm-hmm. we talked about the schools and the YMCAs and yeah. things of that nature. So how can we better identify families at risk in order to guide prevention efforts? Well, I'm a firm believer in the whole idea of family is not always your blood. Family is what you make it and what you create. So um, I, with that belief, you create your own support system. Absolutely. And so one of the things, for example, just for myself that I did um, when I was younger is I created that support system. So I knew that in order for me to be able to live and survive, and to um, be able to um, be successful, I needed to create a support system for myself. So it was I was just blessed to have people like a pastor when I was 10 years old. I like absolutely love, love this man. And he, um, Pastor Church, he was one of those people who was um, another um, father figure in my life to kind of help me with those protective factors. Because see, the thing is, is, is that, Um, fathers validate. That's one of the biggest things. Fathers are supposed to validate their children. And so I didn't necessarily always have that. So I, so what I did was I had people around me to do that for me. I had people around me to tell me when things were tough for me. I had people to tell me, you need to be successful. You need to work on your academics. I had that. I found that in my school counselors. I found that in my teachers. I found that in my friends. And so, and even as an adult, I still became that person, that person who creates their own support system. And so I think that creating your own support system, those protective factors, if you will, can also help you be successful in um, navigating one mental health and navigating just success overall. I think that's absolutely right. You know, you have good friends. Oh, it's a learning. It's a learning curve. Okay, you like, you know, like, no, like, no, like, no, support me, and I had no. Like it's a learning. Curve. No, 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 no. I'm serious. Well, and you grow. That that's one of the things you grow. You don't stay the same person that you are when you thank the Lord for that. You, if you don't. Do. <laughs> yeah, you don't stay that same person, and so you. The thing is, is 
at the age that I am now, it's more about quality over quantity. Oh, I say the same thing. It's it's the, about uh, quality. And absolutely. so with the time that I have left, I want quality <laughs> in my life. And that's and that's just honest that's the truth. I'd rather have three great loyal friends mm-hmm. that I can depend on and have honesty and respect for each other. No yes. shade throwing. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's 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 not any shade throwing, but the thing is is what people don't understand is, is that is that is a protective factor. That is a protective yeah. factor. Having that support system, yeah. having those friends is a support is is a protective factor Absolutely. for your mental health. Absolutely. And so you don't have to you don't have to deal with um, friends that are not good friends. You can walk away from it and still continue to live your life. It sounds like social media. You can walk mm-hmm. away from yeah. it. You choose your community. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 So how can people find out more about Synergy and your work and the things that you're doing? Because, I mean, it sounds, sounds really interesting. It looks like you're, you're on the front line of trying to help people transform their lives. And so I'm sure there's people out there that want to be transformed. So how would they find out <laughs> more about what you're doing? Well, um, they can visit our, web, our website. It is SynergyCenterForWellness.org. Um, you can also call our clinic. The number is 972 972- Eight five zero zero seven one five. Once again, I'm Dr. Crossley. I'm the executive director of um, Synergy Center for Wellness, and um, you can you can call if you need an appointment, if you need counseling, if you need assessment services, if you just need help with n- navigating life. That's just some of the things that we do over at Synergy Center for Wellness. Well, Dr. Tia Crossley, I want to say thank you for taking the time um, to interview with the Health Show. It was an amazing conversation. I learned a whole lot. Things I didn't learn. (laughs) I guess I learned more and get more into the field. But um, thank you so much for taking your time. Um, I learned that I was a bees man, so I (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. And please stay tuned. So Dr. Ken, how were those interviews oh my goodness so like what did you think i think they were both great interviews i think the topic of you know abuse for kids is one that's always you know struck a nerve with me over the years because you realize that as more kids are being abused they're going to turn into adults that have experienced this abuse and they're going to have to deal with those issues the rest of their lives which are going to impact relationships with you know spouses significant others how they get along with people and in the workplace um, you, you look at how it affects our society and it's just incredible so I think that I really applaud you for bringing these things to light so that we could really talk about them and discuss them more you know I think it's important to talk about these issues um, I know we, we talked briefly um, that you used to work in what, what the field the department um, you used to do more hands-on hands. Um, well, I'm a child psychiatrist, so I've worked with lots of okay. abused kids <laughs> over the years. I've worked for school systems. I've worked for departments of family and social services. So you see a lot of kids with a lot of mental illness, a lot of depression, mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety related to abuse issues, and just a lot of counseling over time. And so you see it on a day-to-day basis, and it really does affect you because you realize that these are things these kids are going to deal with for, you know, the remainder of their lives. Most definitely. Sometimes just getting over it, the idea that who can I trust, who can I yeah. not trust, um, where can I feel secure, where can I not feel secure. Right. It's to be a very, very hard thing, especially when you've had the kind of experiences that a lot of these kids are having. What, you know, I, um, what I really enjoy about the conversations that we, we had with Dr. Crosby and with um, Erica you know, they both made this the same comment saying that um, broken children turn into broken adults. Absolutely. And that's that's the big takeaway here is if we if we could prevent um, abuse or if we can get counseling for these kids really early in the process. Right. It at least lessens the impact that the abuse is going to have on them long term. And so I do think that I applaud both of both of these professionals for their willingness to be on the front line making sure these kids get the help they need. Absolutely. You know, um, I also like the fact that um, Erica, she spoke about, you know, sometime with, you know, her teaching the DISD industry, I mean, you know, in DISD, that just because a child may come to school um, a little dirty, um, doesn't mean that they're being 
being abused. It just sometimes means that their family are going through financial hardship. And that you can, instead of taking it, you know, taking it to CPS and turning it into something um, huge or something, you don't, you don't have to, you know, get involved with that, with the CPS situation. You can just, hey, let's find you somewhere to have clean clothes. Let's find you somewhere to get you some food. Let's find, let's help the family in general. You know, um, the the area that she works in, the income is twenty five thousand dollars for two um, household parents. That's tough. And so I want to make sure we don't confuse abuse with poverty. Because if you look yeah. at the abuse data that's out there, you can be abused in a family that's making a million dollars a year just as easily as you can in a family that's making $10,000 a year. Most definitely. So abuse itself has nothing to do with socioeconomics. I do think what often happens is the family that has a really low income, as you were saying earlier, they're struggling with life. Right. And so if you've got a single mother who's struggling every day to pay the bills, trying to figure out how do I get my kids supervised, you know, after school, there are going to be things that fall through the cracks. Most definitely. And, it's, and it's not that this is a bad mother. In many cases, you've got really good mothers who are struggling to make things happen or, or fathers who are struggling to make things, things happen. And so I think it's important to make sure that we separate out the person that's really struggling because of life circumstances can't get it done versus the folks that are really abusive toward their kids. So the question I have for you and for myself as well. So guess one, which was Erica. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from her? Well, I think Erica was very, very um, helpful in the sense of just giving us a great overview of not only social work, because I tell people all the time, like what a a child psychiatrist, I'd probably become a social worker. That would be my other career I would seriously think about because I do think they're on the front lines of doing things. So I love the way she described the field of social work, the right. things that social workers do, and really encouraging more of our young people to go into social work because the more of us that are there, the more likely we are to be able to identify with some of the struggles that the kids are having. But I also liked her approach in terms of kind of treatment, supporting families, and really being able to make a difference in the lives of those who have experienced abuse or those families who are struggling to put things um, together in a way to be functional for them. Right. Um, I really like the fact, the fact that she talked about um, listening to the kids, being a, a, an ear if a child is saying I'm being abused. Um, as adults, we should listen and we should take that into, um, into something very serious. You know, children don't say they're being abused or being neglected. Or sometimes showing that being neglected is just not the, the fact. And so I like that she she constantly said, listen, take heed, pretty much. Mm -hmm. child saying, hey, this is what's going on. Or, or even with sexual abuse, if I'm being touched, I think you should really take that in consideration and to listen to the children. And um, I also like the fact that we talked about the emotional abuse. And with the emotional abuse, we both said this, you know, it's a myth. They say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That is absolutely not true. And we both agreed about that because what, what happens is that you see, you can't see the emotional abuse because it's internal. Right. You know, and so physical abuse is external. So, of course, <laughs> you, can see a, you can see a black eye. You know, of course, you can see someone being malnourished. But that emotion also turns into depression. You know, so parents, you guys take heed and be careful. Um, even adults, um, I know this is for ch child abuse. Remember, you know, children turn into adults. And so that emotional abuse can can haunt you for the rest of your life. And you have that mother, that father, that grandmother, supposed to be quote-unquote friends saying, you're not smart, you're stupid, you're, you know, you're ugly. Those things are hurtful. You know, those things can haunt you for the rest of your life. Those things will make it difficult for you to grow as a as an individual. Absolutely. I can't tell you the, the number of adult women, often 40-something, 50-something women, that will talk about being abused as a young child. Yeah. And the fact that they attempted to tell a mother, attempted to tell a father, and nobody listened to them. Yeah. And in many cases... The trauma of not being heard was more difficult than the trauma of the abuse that actually happened. Absolutely. And so I do think that we have to be much more vigilant about taking care of our kids and making sure that we hear what they're saying 
And we provide assistance when we can. Absolutely, absolutely. So guest two, um, Dr. Tia Crosley. Um, so what did you learn from her? So I, I think Tia, I, I loved the whole idea of synergy and the work that she's doing there because I do think that it's important to have grassroots organizations that are really focused on trying to make a difference in the community. Um, and what I liked about her approach was it really became more, it's more of a family-centered community support um, for folks that are struggling. And I think that that's one of the things important. So where do I go if I need help? And I've heard a show like The Help Show today. It's that kind of place like Synergy that's able to step in and say, we're here, we can give you counseling, we can work with your family to try to get you back on track. Um, you know, I, I like that fact too. I like the fact that um, when we talked about the difference in, in diverse culture groups, and is there a difference across the board? And actually, there's not. There's not at all. There's not. And I thought that was very interesting. I didn't know that. You know, you always think, oh, because someone is Hispanic, someone is Asian, someone is um, Afro Latino or African American, that. Abuse happens everywhere. There are people that do bad things all the time. And, you know, this this is going to sound, you know, in some ways Pollyannish, is that I don't always blame the perpetrator. Because in many cases, people are acting out things that they experience through music. Now, if you're somebody that's, you know, a predator, that's, that's one thing. But oftentimes what you'll see, especially with, you know, siblings, for example, because siblings can abuse each other physically or sexually as well. Yeah. Um, that oftentimes it's the environment they were in, the experiences that they've seen. Right. And those people sometimes need as much help as the person that's actually victimized. And you know what? I, I'm, I should I'm, say the identified victim. You know what? But I'm going to I'm agree with you with that because, you know, just like sexual behavior and those that I'm going to give a, um, a prime example and you guys might disagree with me but the r kelly situation i actually feel sorry for him dr ken and i feel sorry for him because at the end of the day he was taught those things he was abused he was sexual abused he was so he, basically he has grown into be into that child he was to be an adult to being a, a sexual abuser because he was sexually abused so i'm going to leave that short we're going to talk about that but i i had to say that because he was taught he was he was taught that he was the abuser. He was, he was the one being abused. He was his family abused him. His sexual abused him. So what he what he did is what he thought was a, you know was normal. But we're gonna um, cut that because it's very it's a, it's a situation <laughs> that I feel about that. But anyway, um, but yeah, I, I actually do feel um, that we are we grow up to being what we are taught. So if Absolutely. you're so if you were taught. If, were, if you were violated yourself, then you think the violation is normal. You take the violation into your adulthood and you violate them. So, you know, I think those adults that have been those um, abused children, like you said, need to be helped as well. But if you recognize that you have a history of abuse, and if you recognize that you're engaging in behaviors that are inappropriate, I do think it's incumbent upon that individual to seek help. Because clearly there's a problem at that point. And even if you haven't been caught, you haven't been identified, I do think it's important that you seek help to try to change your behavior because your behaviors are now affecting other people. Absolutely. Um, so topics for the future person research that you think we should discuss a little bit more that you can think of. Well, I think this, this whole episode has opened my eyes to the whole idea of trauma. And as a people, especially in the African-American community, we've experienced lots of different kinds of trauma, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, physical, sexual, emotional um, abuse, whether it's things that we experience in our communities, whether we look at the number of deaths that are occurring very early, whether it's related to crime within our communities itself, itself whether it's related to law enforcement in our community. I think there's lots of things out there that we need to discuss along this whole gamut that we call that we call trauma. So I'm hoping that you know we can look at 
the issues of abuse in the context of that much larger issue. Yeah. Um, so me for the topic for the um, the future, I would like to go more into depth depth about um, about child abuse. You know, I only got to hit the surface of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go more into the adult stage of it. I mean, as far as like this more psychological aspect of it. Um, I found it very interesting. You know, it's only a, what, a 35 hour minute show. <laughs> <laughs> so I only can talk about so much. Um, and so I would, I want to know more about the psychological, about um, child abuse, because I know um, uh, children can become those adult monsters. And then, you know, it can be a cycle. And so I kind of want to go more to that and how, and go more into like, how it can be, how, what I what I can do, what the help show can do, what I can teach more about, more about more help, like in the community, like places people can Absolutely. go. Absolutely. And so I'm I'm a big advocate of um, resources. Mm-hmm. You know, resources is the way to go. You know, so um, I hope you guys really enjoyed the show, and um, I just can't wait to the next show. Um, also, want to tell you guys. So um, May we are. It's called, we have a mental health month. And so what we do at the help show, we take a whole month off of May because we have to recharge and we have to have self-care. You know, here at the help show, I have so many people that um, put help me put the show together. And so they have to have a rest as well. And so mental health rest is what we do. So there won't be any social media. So I won't be posting for a month. Um, and I won't be doing a show for the month because it's called self-care. And self-care is very, very important. And um, so we're going to take the month off and want you guys to know. Also, um, our, our kind, kind, kind co-host, um, Dr. Rogers, won't be here um, for the next quarter. He will be adventuring. He will be venturing with us probably around December. I want you to know that, okay? So I'll oh, see you. I'll, I'll see you again probably like the, th- what, the, what, the fourth quarter. I, I'm going to kidnap you again. I want you to know it's that. It's been a lot of fun hanging out with you. <laughs> I appreciate appreciate you letting me come on the journey with you for a while. Oh, man. But um, if you see any signs of abuse in someone you know or you yourself are involved in an abusive relationship, get the help right away. Child Health National Child Abuse Hotline is a 24-hour hotline with resources to aid in every child abuse situation. All calls are confidential. Call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's one 800 422 4453 for help. This podcast is produced by Nyetta Reynolds and Davion Abney Music. To get your very own customs custom beats, email him at DavionAbneyMusic at gmail.com. The Help Show is a nonprofit organization. To learn more or donate, please visit thehelpshow.org. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Help Show. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments. We want to know what you think. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe.